One, two, one, two, three, four. Hey everybody, it's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. Guess what? This is our 100th episode, if you can believe it. So um, we should have done something special. We should have uh, set off fireworks. Instead, I'm in, I'm recording this in Little Rock, Arkansas. And in honor of our 100th episode tomorrow, I'm going to run the Little Rock Marathon. So that's what we'll do to celebrate. This episode's going to be great. It's an interview with the founder of the Atlanta Revenue Collective chapter, Nicole Smith. She was the chief marketing officer at UserIQ. She just joined an, an incredible new company called Tackle.io as the VP of marketing. It's a great conversation. We talk about what are the four steps to building a great marketing organization from the very first marketing hire? And what are the mistakes and pitfalls that you might make? What are the issues and how should marketers be compensated? How should marketers align with the CFO and why is the CFO relationship the most important one that there is? And then finally, which is just a broad question, but how should you run a job search? How should you evaluate a company when there's so many different options and so many companies are not completely forthright about the information and the performance of their business when they're recruiting you? even as an account executive, but especially as an executive, what are the steps to doing great due diligence? So it is a fantastic conversation. It's our 100th episode. It's super awesome. We want to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor is Outreach. Outreach triples the productivity of sales teams and empowers them to drive predictable and measurable revenue growth. By prioritizing the right activity and scaling customer engagement with intelligent automation, Outreach makes customer-facing teams more effective and improves visibility into what really drives results. Finally, Today, it's Tuesday, March 10th, and uh, we, the Revenue Collective, uh, if you're out there, we are in uh, San Francisco, hopefully uh, having not caught the coronavirus, washing our hands obsessively and not shaking hands. But we're doing our offsite. Thanks to NASDAQ for providing the space. We're doing it at the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center. And it's a great day. Uh, we've got incredible sponsors and partners. We've got Redpoint Ventures involved, Insight Squared's involved, Gong is involved, and just a number of incredible organizations. And um, so that's what's happening in San Francisco. And we're hoping that people join us today uh, in San Francisco before potentially heading down to San Jose for the Saster Conference. But regardless, we're glad that you're listening. Thanks for being with us for 100 episodes. If you want to do anything about 100 episodes or email me or get in touch with me, you can. It's linkedin.com forward slash the word in forward slash Sam F. Jacobs. But also, uh, let's listen to this great interview with Nicole Voino-Smith. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. Today on the show, we are delighted to have Nicole Voino-Smith. Nicole is one of the leaders in the marketing SaaS ecosystem down in Atlanta, Georgia. She's also the leader of the Atlanta Revenue Collective, but she's also the VP of Marketing at Tackle.io, a company that helps SaaS companies sell their software through cloud marketplaces like AWS. Prior to Tackle, Nicole was the CMO at UserIQ. That company does customer success software, where she built the marketing department from scratch and launched their go-to-market strategy, resulting in significant ARR growth. She spent the last 15 years building brands, implementing inbound marketing programs, and championing team and revenue growth. She founded the Atlanta chapter of the Revenue Collective. It is our fastest growing chapter. Great job, Nicole. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sam. It's great to be here. We're excited to have you. And um we want to learn more about you, as we always do. We want to get your baseball card. So you're the VP of marketing. And by the way, for folks out there, it's Voino, but it's but it's written W-O-J-N-O. Uh, so it's Nicole Voino-Smith, VP of marketing, Tackle.io. What does Tackle do? Let's give, it, let's give you an opportunity to tell us what your company does. 
Yeah, great. Thank you. So as you said, we help SaaS companies turn the cloud marketplaces like AWS Marketplace, Google Cloud um, Marketplace, and Azure Marketplace into new revenue channels for them. And we built the company because at the end of the day, we realized people don't love the software buying process and software sellers don't always love selling software because of things like the approval to purchase process, procurement, and legal and red lines. So that's why people have started moving to cloud marketplaces for these purchases. And organizations have also been following suit and consolidating a lot of their IT spend to the cloud providers because of things like the more they purchase over time through AWS, um, the better their discount and the less burden their vendor management has to shoulder. But getting listed on marketplaces can be hard and time-consuming for the internal teams. There's um, dev resources and time required, and each cloud marketplace is not like the other. So if you list on one, it's not the same process to do another cloud marketplace. And the sales team needs a strategy to get a return on these marketplaces and have people start transacting. Sales ops has trouble tracking who bought what, and then the finance team doesn't get their granular reporting they need to understand what are these deals that are coming through. So we created a platform to sit between your software company and the marketplace to provide this single endpoint for the companies to integrate with. And then we take care of all the hard work. We're integrating all the systems. We're turning all that data into a simplified reporting view and integrating with your system, like, you know, maybe Salesforce, so you get that reporting. And we also drink our own champagne. So we are born in the cloud, we're deployed in the cloud, and we sell in the cloud. It's our go-to-market strategy. And yeah, that's kind of the tackle story. Is it is it a conscious effort on your part to always say drink your own champagne as opposed to drink your own Kool-Aid? It is. I like the champagne metaphor better than Kool-Aid. <laughs> Kool-Aid reminds me of a cult or something. <laughs> no, that's right. It's the John- Jonestown Massacre. Everybody drank the Kool-Aid yes. and died. So drinking champagne <laughs> yeah. makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yes. Um, well, that's So that sounds really, you know, when you've told me about this in the past, it always has struck me as like a really cool and important business. I remember when I was running revenue for an enterprise software company trying to sell into big investment banks, the procurement process, to your point, and the vendor approval process and the infosec process and the compliance process, all of that was really, really daunting. And, you know, we were filling out 200-page questionnaires with different answers. And the whole thing was really, really hard and time-consuming. And then you still didn't have any guarantee that you'd be able to get there. So this is a way for large enterprises to interact with startups in an easier way through a cloud marketplace where they already have a relationship. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, that's very accurate. And that's why a lot of people are going there and, you know, bringing a lot of their new like go-to-market strategies to the cloud marketplace. That's really cool. So how old is this company How do, and how did you find them? Yeah, so the company is about three years old, um, really just started selling in 2018. And I found them through a great CEO in Atlanta named Kyle Porter, who runs SalesLoft. Um, we share an investor in the company, and he introduced me to their VP of sales, Don Addington at Tackle. And it was just a great connection with the company. And I was instantly really excited about their mission and what they were doing and just <laughs> hit it off with them. That's awesome. Well, I'm really excited for you. So let's learn a little bit more about about your background and how you got to to where you are. And just like, let's learn about your career story. So how did you get into marketing? How did you get into SaaS? You you know, your bio says 15 years. Talk to us about the evolution of Uh becoming a VP of marketing at an early stage company. 
Sure. So in the early days, um, I started my career in healthcare IT. Um, I was working for agencies at first and doing the PR side of things. But I guess the first really agency experience was working at one that specialized, um, you know, healthcare IT for B2B companies. And that was really my inauguration, I would say, into the SaaS world. And when I joined after about three years, probably out of school, was small. It was for about 12 people. And after two years on that client side, um, I realized, like, I did not want to do PR anymore. I wanted to move more into marketing. And the agency was growing quickly. I was getting my MBA at night, and they needed someone to do marketing. And so um, my... CEO at the time at the company was like, why don't you run this? And I said, sure. Um, I didn't know what I was doing at all. I had been getting my MBA though. And he said, you know, but that doesn't prepare you. I don't think to actually uh, run a marketing team, but I slowly figured it out. And soon I needed a team to help me with it. And probably less than a year into that position, we had started using, um, marketing automation for ourselves to help with demand generation and lead nurturing. And we realized that we should be selling this as a service to our clients as well to help them with their demand gen and lead nurturing initiatives and with everything else that went along with, you know, the PR and marketing that they were doing with our agency. So I built out an agency partner program with marketing automation platforms like Pardot, which was local to Atlanta to get our clients to invest in marketing automation. So we would implement and run the system in all their campaigns. And I don't think I really realized what I was doing at the time. But, you know, looking back, I was like, wow, I was doing all the the pre-sales, um, the marketing, and then the professional service efforts. So I was pitching clients. I was doing demos. I was doing contracts. I was developing all the collateral and then doing the services once they signed on, which was a really cool experience. And I got my CFO at the time to stop hating me because then I was bringing revenue into the organization instead of just spending money and making marketing this bottomless pit at the time. Um, <laughs> and we eventually got acquired by a PE firm and they combined us with about five other agencies. And I stayed on for a year after that and then decided to make a move. And that's when I found User IQ. And I started there as employee number eight. And we had been so focused on the buyer's journey, you know, at the agency I was at and just focused, you know, we were focused on marketing automation and user IQ was focused on the customer journey. You know, we were helping customers. Once you've acquired the customer, how do you make sure they're not going to churn? Because that's such a big loss for companies. And, you know, there's a lot of money in keeping your customers and making sure they renew each year. And I was really interested in that. And they had no marketing when I came in. I built it up to a team of six marketers and, you know, there was a very outbound focused approach. So over the years, we moved it to more of an inbound and then account-based approach. And, you know, at one point, about 80% of revenue was coming from inbound. So it was a really fun time then. And then... That's awesome. Yeah. And then found tackle in December. Thank you. First of all, just repeating back what I think I just heard, which is that you developed the marketing automation program at your employer, and then that became an entire business line based on the work that you did. Is that accurate? It did. That's correct. <laughs> That's pretty cool. What did it you, so, cool. you know, there's lots and lots of folks out there that misunderstand marketing and that are thinking about making their first marketing hire. And I guess, what are the lessons that you've learned about being the first marketing hire and then building up a team? And then specifically not just like the lessons, but what are the big mistakes that if people are listening out there, you really want them to avoid when it comes to, particularly for me, because I think that people have unrealistic Mm -hmm. expectations sometimes, but like, what are the big 
expectation, like what are the right expectations they should have for the impact that the first marketing hire can make to their business? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I've seen a lot of that over the years. And, you know, I was actually at a company for about three months as their CMO and I don't even listed on my LinkedIn because it was kind of a disaster, but they had really (laughs) mixed expectations, like in that interview process and what was shared with me. And then of what they really wanted out of a marketing hire. But so I think expectations are that, you know, if you really are hiring like a marketing leader, you know, a VP of marketing or CMO, and they're your only marketing person, you know, they can't be expected to do all the tactical stuff, you know, of like social media, writing every blog and content, and then all the strategic all the strategy items of, Hey, let's build this, um, revenue system, like inbound revenue system or account-based marketing revenue system that aligns with sales and customer success and the rest of the company, or, you know, the marketing strategy for the organization and, you know, or event plans. But it's really hard, I think, for one person to do all the strategy and the tactical. And I've seen a lot of companies, you know, they hire one marketing person when they have a team of, you know, 15 salespeople or, you know, 12, 12 customer success people. And so it's, it's interesting to me that that's the approach a lot of times, but I think you have to have expectations that you're going to give your marketing person budget to hire agencies and other resources, and then, you know, have a team of people to support them. And if you expect results out of them, like bringing in revenue to align to your organization's strategy and goals and help grow the business, like one person can't do all that on their own. So if they, if I'm, if I'm a small business owner or a startup founder Mm -hmm. listening and I'm hearing you say all of these things and I'm saying, listen, I, I, I would love to hire a team of six marketers. I do not, you know, I don't have the money to do that right now. I need to, I want to start, I want to start somewhere. How should I start? And Mm -hmm. what should the job spec be of that first person that I'm hiring? Do you think like, what should I measure them? What should I expect? Yes, I get it. They can't do everything on their own. What's one thing they, they should do. Yeah. I think it might depend on the goals of the business, honestly. So sometimes if you are really needing demand generation for a business, like you need a lot of leads and that's your big focus, then I would probably hire like a director of demand generation and bring that person in to build a demand generation program for your business and generate leads. If you need something that's like, we need a ton of content developed and that's what we're doing, then maybe hire a director of content marketing for your business. That's going to focus on developing all that content, help build your brand and that, or, you know, hire, and that's what you're measuring on them on is the content that they're developing, how your brand is growing over time, you know, how the SEO is performing, your organic is growing. And then on the demand side of things, if, that's what you're building it on. You know, it's that funnel conversion rate from top of the funnel to bottom of the funnel and how marketing's contributing to that. I think there's different goals for different businesses that I've seen. If I, if I say, yes, I want, well, let me, let me get your reaction to this. Cause this mm-hmm. is from personal experience, mm-hmm. which is that I, um, I was in this situation at a fairly large company, it was Livestream, and we didn't really have a functioning kind of like B2B marketing department. So mm-hmm. I hired a director of demand gen. And what I realized almost immediately, this person helped educate me. So it wasn't in, in any way their fault, but I was saying, okay, where are the leads? You know, I hired you, you're the demand gen person, please show me the leads. And they say, well, 
what they said what he what are the things like what are the programs what's the messaging what's the content like what do you want me to say in my demand generation programs that will help get leads and what kind of leads do you want and so what i realized was that like i had to sort of put the cart before the horse and that my perspective mm-hmm. is that a lot of people hire a demand gen person quote unquote but they don't have the messaging down they don't have content that can be turned into ads or put into automation emails like they if you don't have if you don't know what to say it's really hard to build a drip campaign full of interesting things to say if nobody knows what to say or if the things that you are saying aren't all aligned and speak to you know the value proposition that you're trying to push do you think that I'm how do you how do you think about that? Do you think that maybe sometimes it's actually better to hire like a content person and get the messaging down before you hire the demand gen person if you still want leads? Yeah, I do. I mean, content's always going to be my first hire when I am into an organization and when I move in one. I think that's the most important thing. And that's what I especially see for startups as their biggest pain point of they need help with that content and getting their messaging down. And that's what most struggle with, especially like, you know, it's mostly usually a product-led founder um, and they haven't spent the time and care to develop their messaging. And yeah, if you don't have the right messaging in place or you don't have any of that built out, like you it's hard to do anything else. It's hard for sales. If everyone's not marching to the same tune, then it's it's going to be a struggle going forward. So I think content should be a really important focus and investment up front. Cool. You said, um, you know, you think that it's a total mistake when people say we're a startup, we don't have time for process. Walk us through yeah. what you mean when people say that and how should we implement process according to, you know, the Nicole Voino-Smith way of, of thinking. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I really do. Because I just think that if you don't do this, like, everything's going to fall apart at some point. And you can't keep saying I think, you know, there's a little bit of leeway sometimes. But if you can't keep blaming the fact that you're growing too fast, or, you know, everyone's running in different directions to just build some process. So I think, you know, you have to have some foundation and make sure everyone in the company is working on the foundation too, to really scale the company. And if you don't hire, you know, you can't hire 60 new employees in a year. If you don't have a good recruiting process or ex- expect employees to say, if you don't have goals or even be competitive, if you don't have a product roadmap. So kind of the things I've done from a process standpoint to get things in place as I've come um, is really like, I guess to build that team and everything is the first, there's kind of like four steps. I like to prove it works. So I don't spend like my first 90 days just observing. I like to get quick wins and build my priorities and strategy, why I'm building my priorities and strategies. So at Tackle, I've jumped into product marketing and content. So I'm like writing new blogs to announce new features. I'm getting case studies written. I'm building out our presence on social channels. I'm getting in front of customers. I've been organizing events at trade shows we have coming up and planning a customer advisory board to launch our community efforts. And then I like to look at process. So trying to figure out where the gaps are in the organization, particularly as it relates to my functional area that I own and how can I help streamline that so it works better across the board. And something I've done at Tackle, so there's not really hasn't been a marketing department before. So I'm working on the marketing to sales handoff process and how we automate that in HubSpot. And I've been lucky to be able to engage an agency to help us with that as well. And then I like to look at people as the next step. 
who do you need on your boat and how can you, you know, optimize like what you're doing so that everyone's working together just kind of across the team. And I've been waiting 90 days to work, make my first hire. And I didn't want to do that right away until I really understood, you know, the state of the business, what would make the most sense in marketing. And if my priorities, like what I really thought was the problem, not problem, I guess, but like what was needed is really needed. And so I'm just put up my rec the other day for my first hire. Who was your first hire? A head of content and brand marketing. Oh, there you go. Yep. You're <laughs> drinking that champagne. Important. I am. <laughs> no BS here. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Cool. Yeah. Good. We, we hope that you the, hire someone great. I'll, I think I will. <laughs> this episode of the Sales Hacker Podcast is brought to you by DocuSign. Every sales org feels the pressure to close deals faster. Take control with the DocuSign Agreement Cloud, a suite of tools that automate sales contracts and quotes all in your CRM. Create custom contracts, get them signed, and pull data back into your opportunities. See why more than half a million businesses use DocuSign with a free trial and discount exclusively for Sales Hacker listeners. Go to go.docusign.com forward slash sales hacker for more information. Our second sponsor is Outreach, the leading sales engagement platform. Outreach supports sales reps by enabling them to humanize their communications at scale, from automating the soul-sucking manual work that eats up selling time to providing action-oriented tips on what communications are working best. Outreach has your back. And now, back to the show. The last part is technology. I don't think that's like the most important factor in things, and I think it should be kind of the lowest priority. I won't spend, I don't think, a ton on tools this year. I think it'll be on optimizing what we currently have, you know, especially as a startup. Um, You know, we have HubSpot. We have things that connect to that. And then probably later this year, early next year, as I've got more of the team in place, I'll look to add on and see what else we need. But I, you know, I just think getting the process in place and understanding what works and what doesn't and testing out programs is most important. And then we can add technology to that stack. Are you guys on, uh, on, uh, Salesforce? We are not. We use HubSpot for our CRM and marketing automation system. I'm sending you the high five emoji. Revenue collective uses HubSpot <laughs> as well for our CRM. <laughs> as I you know, know, I use it. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know you do. Um, <laughs> That's a great framework. So let me just repeat it back for folks so that they, you know, if they want to mm-hmm. take notes or whatever, the four steps are, remind us what the four, yeah. what the four steps are again. Okay. Yep. So prove it works, build a process, hire the right people, and then add technology. Great. And your point is that a lot of people come in as new marketers or just, or the expectation is the first thing I need is uh, I need to spend $60,000 on Marketo. You know, I need a new marketing automation system before I can do anything. And your point is that's not the first thing. That's the last thing. Once you really understand the business. Yes. A hundred percent. Awesome. All right. So I think that's really, really helpful. So, you know, you, you started off doing marketing automation and building drip campaigns. Are those still the tactics that work? You know, when you think about like a modern marketing approach and an account-based approach, is it still, are you still running the same playbook that you did from the beginning? Has it dramatically shifted? You know, what's your point of view on mm-hmm. sort of just beyond the, beyond the, the process of building a marketing organization, mm-hmm. what marketing strategies are most effective in the modern era? 
Yeah. I think it's dramatically shifted. So yeah, when I used to, you know, especially in my back in my agency days, when we were first using marketing automation, it was all about, like you said, those drip campaigns and, you know, gating content and things like that. And uh, I think so much of it has moved away from that in this modern marketing era. And it's really about, and the approach we'll be taking at Tackle is really more of an account-based approach. We work really heavily with the three cloud marketplaces that I mentioned earlier, and we're going after target accounts of theirs very strategically. So it's not this spray and pray approach of, hey, let's just blast everyone with content that's not personalized or targeted to them. So that's how we'll be approaching marketing at Tackle. I don't see myself gating content on our site. Um, wow. You know, I'd like to lose like more, more tools like Drift and things like that to engage visitors. We'll be hosting, you know, I think smaller events in different cities to get customers and prospects in the same room to talk to each other. We're, you know, this is a new and emerging category and space. So we're going to be doing a lot of things to build a community around that to get people talking and engaged and not... I, I just think it's very different than things I've done before as well, which is exciting. That is really exciting. Are you compensated or not even compensated, but metric? But you know, the, there's this constant, I think the debate's shifting, but I think that mm-hmm. the debate was more prevalent maybe a year or two, three or four years ago, at least in terms of like um, cutting edge marketing organizations were still having this debate, which is how should marketing be measured? And, yeah. you know, should it be pipeline? Should it be marketing qualified leads? Should it be closed revenue? What do you think about how marketing should be measured in terms of, you know, the the impact of the marketing organization? I think marketing should be measured on the bottom line. So things like, you know, the pipeline and then revenue generated, because I think at the end of the day, marketing's contribution is to the business. So I really don't like metrics like anything like website visitors or MQLs and vanity metrics like that. So, you know, in my book too, it's, you know, things to me are like important is like, you know, how are we growing our community? And then the bottom line stuff, like you said, and we should also be contributing to things like how are we helping to prevent churn and, you know, helping our MPS score and things like that. But at the end of the day, I think the bottom line should be what marketing is being measured on. How would you respond to somebody saying, well, but I, you know, I really don't have any control over how the sales team handles the pipeline and the leads that I generate and it feels too removed. And I, I think I should just be measured and compensated and metriced on things that I have a direct impact on. And that those things tend to be t- more, you know, earlier mm-hmm. in the funnel. What do you think about that yeah. argument? I mean, I do hear that argument a lot. And I think that's a lot in organizations where marketing and sales aren't very aligned on things. And there's a lot of disconnect in those organizations. So I maybe think that's more of like an internal organization strife issue, potentially. But yeah, I mean, it is hard when it gets out of out of the marketer's hands. But I think if you're really working, marketing and sales leaders are working together on and, you know, looking at the revenue goal for the year and backing that out. And they've made those decisions together and worked with the CFO and said, Hey, here's the revenue target. Here's what we need. Okay. Let's back it out. How many deals do we need to close? How many opportunities do we need? You know, sales qualified leads, marketing qualified leads, and everyone's agreed on the conversion rates, then you should be able to say, let's all be responsible for these numbers together. I hope so. That's what I, I mean, I think you and me are on the same page. We'll see how Uh uh, the rest of the world uh, agrees. Another (laughs) another topic that I, I have a beef with is attribution. 
And I also, yeah. I think that this is where there's, again, a lot of internal strife. And I, and so I'll just tell you uh, my perspective and I'd love what you're, you know, okay. whether you don't have to agree or disagree, sure. but I would just love your reaction to it, which is that okay. I think attribution is sort of a really, I understand the need for it, but I think it's, I think it's, it clouds how people actually buy things. And I think that especially like last touch attribution to the point of marketing does all this stuff, right? You do the community, mm -hmm. you do the dinners, you, um, you, you do the webinar, you, you have this really awesome campaign where you email people stuff or whatever. And then the SDR sends an email and the person responds to the SDR, the outbound SDR. And now the attribution is SDR generated it versus marketing generated it. Or the opposite is true, right? The SDR has been emailing this person all day, every day for, you know, a year. Finally, you put the right, you know, offer in front of them. They click on the ad or they click on the campaign or whatever it is. They go to the event and then they decide to become, you know, a lead. They, they enter the funnel after going to the dinner. And so from that perspective, it's marketing generated or field marketing generated, but, but it's, but it's mm -hmm. what it really is, is that the company's efforts all together are generating pipeline and it's not yeah. one team or the other, but it's the teams working together. Now, from the perspective of the CFO, that's difficult because I want to be able to say, I pay the SDR 50 base and 25 OTE. And, you know, that's how I measure the impact of that spend on, on headcount versus I pay the marketing and I invest in these campaigns. And so it's messier when you don't have, you know, perfect attribution, but I think perfect attribution often doesn't tell the real story. What do you think about that? And, and, and if you think that there's merit to it, how do you address it? I'll yeah, I think that's a really now. good point. <laughs> no, I, the attribution conversation, you're right. It is so messy. And we used to do first touch attribution at user IQ and it, I mean, it causes so many headaches and fights. And I do think that's where a lot of the misalignment happens between marketing and sales, because it's like, oh, they filled out this form to request a demo and, you know, or they came in that means from SEO or paid ad. So marketing got them. And then, but I mean, it is, like you said, it's a shared effort. So I think that contributes to a lot of the back and forth of the bottom of the funnel stuff and marketing, not being able to agree or sales, not being able to agree of marketing, doing all this for the pipeline or we all are focusing on the same revenue number. And a lot of times a startup can't afford all those fancy attribution tools that shows the full life cycle of a lead of how it's touched by all these things. And it is still, I think, very challenging in a HubSpot or a Salesforce to set up all the different campaigns to see the different touches of a lead, you know, as it goes through those things. So I have a lot of issues with attribution and how you want to look at that because I do, I don't think there's a perfect solution to it. And I almost don't like to look at marketing attribution or sales attribution. I just like to say, we've all at some point touched this. They've been through, they've searched for something. They've talked to sales in this process. We've all helped get them there. Let's just celebrate that we've closed this deal and we've won it. But I know there yeah. has to be some sort of it. I, I don't know that I have a perfect solution, especially when you're a smaller company and you don't have the, all the tools to measure it. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. A big issue. <laughs> yeah, it is. One of the, the things that you've said uh, and that you've spoken about in public is, is how the most important relationship in the organization as a head of marketing or maybe even as a head of revenue is with your CFO. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about yeah. you know, what you mean by that. Yes, it really is. And I didn't realize this for a long time. And I think it was just because like, I didn't understand the balance sheet or all the terms that 
the CFO would use or even a revenue organization. And that was a huge mistake. And when I came to user IQ, I really made a change to turn that around and start working closely with the CFO on understanding everything that they were talking about and what the terms meant, like how we reconcile costs each month. But I think a CFO can really make or break who you're hiring, like what's your, how you're getting budget for the year, if you are getting extra budget and things like that. So fostering that relationship really early on and understanding how they think has been really important for me professionally and like going into a new organization too. Like when I came into tackle and going through the budgeting process, that's been huge as well. What are steps that you can take to foster the relationship? And what are, what are some insights that you have learned about how CFOs yeah. think that have changed the way that you operate? Yeah. So I think some steps you can take are, why well, I, I guess I would give an example of maybe, you know, coming into an organization where there wasn't really a budget for marketing. And so I had to pretty quickly, you know, assess the company, create my goals and priorities for the year and present a plan and budget. So to help my CFO, I think, really understand what it is I'm asking for, you know, really going line, creating my strategic plan for marketing and then creating a budget of what I'm asking for and going line by line through my plan and then saying, Hey, here's the cell in the budget of how this aligns. So he could really understand like, okay, this is what Nicole is asking for. And here's how it aligns to what she's also asking for in the budget, but what she's planning to do with it. So like I'm built, trying to build a community this year around cloud marketplaces. So in my budget, I have things for like, hey, we're going to do a Slack group. We're going to do events in different cities. We're going to do a cab meeting in Sonoma. Talking to him Can I be on this. your cab? <laughs> of course, Sam, please come. A lot of people have asked that now. <laughs> it's so well, weird. If you say it's in Sonoma, although it depends yeah. if coronavirus is active at that point. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> um, so I, I just think it's like having that open dialogue with him and the communication and setting or her, up or her. very early or her, her, him. Yes. Um, <laughs> mine's a him. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Those touch points are important and speaking the same, having a shared dialect. If you're saying, if you're talking about one thing and your CFO thinks something means another thing that's confusing, like understand CAC, LTV, um, ROI, all those terms of just what everything means. And if, you know, being able to communicate the same way together. I think that's a, an oft overlooked and really important point about dialect, mm -hmm. about the words that people use and then people having different definitions of those words in their own mind. And, um, and then never taking the time to actually like square that circle and say, no, 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 no. This is how I'm thinking about measuring churn. Is that how you measure churn? And then you realize that you're measuring mm -hmm. churn differently. So um, that's really right. important. Last topic that we want to talk about on the show today is just some of the, you know, and these are lessons I think you've probably learned as leading, you know, as the leader of the Atlanta Revenue Collective chapter, but you've been having a lot of conversations recently about how to evaluate a company, how to evaluate a startup and making sure mm -hmm. that you do your due diligence. So walk us through some of the learnings there and kind of, you know, it's, it's become, I think, a point of passion for you. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. It really has. Um, I've just noticed that there's a lot of BS out there in the startup world. And I would almost say a lot of maybe just outright lies that I've seen companies tell a candidate in the interview process to get someone to their company. And then once you're there, 
everything's different. So these are honestly things I've heard from people recently. So maybe you're not getting the budget they promised you. Um, they forgot to mention that churns at 40%. The product <laughs> needs to be rebuilt. So you can't sell for the next eight months. Um, or guess what? You're not going to get to hire anyone for your team. Just I mean, really outrageous things. And as, so I think what my lesson for people is that is as the candidate, you really have to be willing to do your due diligence during the interview process and ask really hard questions and also be willing to walk away if things don't line up instead of just taking a job because you need one. And I guarantee you, if something feels off in your gut or you're interviewing with one executive leader and they tell you one thing and someone else is telling you another thing, something's off and dig in on those things. And I know candidates lie too during the job interview process, but like think about running your job search process, like a long-term dating process with the potential that you might marry this person. And you're probably honestly spending more time at your job than you do with your spouse these days. So, you know, the things I think I've learned about an organization when you're taking a new role, there's a few things. And a lot of this stuff is great. Um, Sam shares all this. We have on the Revenue Collective website, actually, a bill of rights and due diligence that the candidate should have. But I kind of have a summary. Um, is it okay if I share those things? Yeah, of course. You're the okay, guest. Cool. You should say so whatever thing- you want. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so the things I have, like, is the topics are... You should make sure they have happy customers. And I think that's a good indicator of product market fit. So if you should make sure the product works as everyone says it does. And if there's not a product market fit and, you know, MPS is lower, there's not happy customers, that's not something you can change and you're not going to be able to market or sell against that. So see if you can do reference calls with customers, check out their churn numbers, things like that. Another good thing to look at is performance and tell them you'll sign an NDA if you need to, so you can see specific numbers, but look at things like marketing performance, MQLs, pipeline, look at the sales team. What have their goals been? Have they been meeting those goals? What are the ARR goals over the last 12 months? Have they met them? What are their goals for the next year? And look at the, maybe ask the CFO to walk through those things with you. That would be a good way to start building that relationship with the CFO. And another thing that I found is really important is figure out how your role is going to be valued. Ask what resources they're willing to give you. If you're the first hire and they've not had that role before, um, talk to other leaders like in your role. So if you're the first marketing leader that that's the CEO or maybe the VP of sales has worked with before in your role and how they valued them to get a better understanding of that. And also get clear expectations about what you need to do in the first 90 days or the first year. And, you know, can you hire outside firms? Who are you going to be able to hire for your team? Ask them to see the projected um, budget and organizational headcount plan for the year. On the team side of things, you know, definitely make sure you interview with everyone on the executive team, try and do face-to-face with all them if possible, understand the culture of the organization, interview with people in not just the executive team, but in the organization as well, and talk to them and ask them to very direct questions too. And then I like to look at, you know, the market, what's the total addressable market, who are their competitors? How much money have they raised? Talk to some of the investors as well and find out from them why they're investing. And then, you know, look at their run rate and future funding plans and things like that. But I would say trust your gut at the end of the day and just do your due diligence and research and ask lots of hard questions. 
Yeah, and and I think uh, the final point I would make is listen to how they answer those questions and whether they are taken aback by the fact yeah. that you asked them. I've seen a lot of people, they say, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask how many shares are outstanding. And then the company says, well, we don't share that information. It's like, okay, yes. well, why not? Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, and yeah. then the other thing I would say is um, I'm really not a big fan of like uh, aggressively exploding offers that are like, you know, here's a, here's, especially for executives, you know, here's an offer. Uh, it's 10 AM on uh, Tuesday. You need to let us know by Thursday at, you know, 5 PM, whether you're going to accept it or not. It's like, well, you know, I have to have a lawyer review it. I have to have a lot of discussion. There's some negotiation that's going to be involved. And, you know, it's not a good feeling if you're trying to build a long-term, I've never proposed to somebody, although I guess if somebody didn't, I've never proposed to somebody and had them say no, but I also, (laughs) but I also, I, I, I guess I wouldn't, I wouldn't like them to think about it and then say, well, you're going to have to tell me by 5 PM or I don't want to marry you anymore. (laughs) I don't know that that would, (laughs) if if my wife said I have to think about it, then I've got bigger problems. And that's sort of like the issue I have to figure out. (laughs) Anyway, that's my rant. Um, Nicole. Yeah. We're at the point in the podcast where we like to pay it forward and talk about influences mm-hmm. and talk about inspiration. So who are some of your influences? Who are the people you want us to know about or content that you've read or books that you've read that you think are important? I would say the greatest influences really for me right now have been, it's been from Revenue Collective. I just find the group so valuable for my professional development. And I know that's probably a conflict of interest since I run the Atlanta chapter, but I could not get by without the group. I really call it like the questions I can't Google or that my CEO expects me to know and I need help with. But I have found so many just mentors professionally for myself in the group. It's just a great resource, wealth of information for me on everything that I need to help me do my job better. That's awesome. What about a book that you really love? Yeah. So I actually just finished um, Category Creation by Anthony Kennedy. I think you had him oh, on your awesome. podcast. Yeah. And I love that one. And then I'm also, I'm not through with it yet, but it's so good. Um, what You Do is Who You Are by Ben Horowitz. Culture is really important to us because we're a remote company and I'm really enjoying that one. That's awesome. Fantastic. If folks are listening and they want to reach out to you, maybe they want to be that uh, content person or brand Mm -hmm. person, or they want to work for you, or they just are inspired by what you said. Uh, What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, they can um, connect with me on LinkedIn. So Nicole, W-O-J-N-O Smith. Awesome. And you're hiring, right? Tackles hiring? We are. We're hiring you. My marketing, I have a marketing hire. We're hiring across sales, customer success, and engineering. Awesome. Uh, Nicole, we'll talk to you on Friday for Friday Fundamentals, but thanks so much for being on the Sales Hacker Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Hey, everyone. It's Sam Jacobs. This is Sam's Corner. Really enjoyed that conversation with Nicole Voino-Smith, VP of Marketing at Tackle.io. I think Tackle just sounds like a really, really cool company, and I think she's on the ground floor of what is going to be a really special success story because it sounds desperately needed, which is a platform to help you access the cloud marketplaces, which in turn help you sell to big enterprises without having to jump through as many hurdles. So I think it's a fantastic company and I'm sure they're going to be super successful. Beyond that, 
it's just always really, really good to, to hear from somebody that is now twice in a row been the very first marketer on the ground at an early stage company to learn and listen about what do you need to do? What is marketing and what do you need to do? And a few of the things that, you know, re- reiterating kind of her focus on process, it's the four steps are first, you got to get in there, deliver some quick wins and really understand the business. I think that's part of it. You've got to figure out how, where do the leads that we do get? Where do they come from? How do they work? You've got to make sure that you educate your, your bosses that marketing is not just brochures and collateral and going to dinners, but really it's about understanding how you can generate awareness and interest to build pipeline, get people to, to want to be part of your, of your funnel and ultimately purchase your product. So step one, as she talks about is getting in there, doing it yourself. Step two is documenting process. And I think part of what she's talking about is cross-functional alignment, right? Marketing customer success and sales, getting them all on the same page. Then number three is the people figuring out who you need to hire. Number four is the technology. And again, one of the the mistakes people make is thinking the first thing I need to do is buy a bunch of new tech, but you definitely shouldn't do any of that before you understand how the business works and what you should be working on. Another thing that you really need to do as the first marketer, and this is just important to, I, I talk to founders and CEOs a lot about the importance of investing in marketing before sales. Marketing means a lot of different things. I define it as the act of delivering a specific message to a specific group of people at a specific moment. That's how I think about it. So all of those things have definitions that sit underneath them, right? A specific message, what is the message? To a specific group of people, who are those people? Those are your ideal customer profiles, your ICPs at a specific moment, right? Most people think when I do marketing, there's like, you know, Somehow they're going to snap their fingers. They they use the technology. They use the Marketo and Presto Changeo. Here are leads. And I hired this marketer three months ago. And why aren't they doing anything? And I haven't seen any leads. And job one is, hey, do we know what our messaging is? Like, do we know what we say to people and why it works and how our solution helps solve their problem? And job two is, and who are those people, by the way? Have we defined who those people are? And then number three, it's, you know, how do we deliver that message to those people in the right moment? And that is... That's what most people think of as marketing, which is distributing the message. But you need a message to distribute before you can distribute the message. Long way of saying it's a lot of work and it's not one person. It's a function and it's an investment in a function. One person cannot do all of the things. I think if you've got 10 salespeople and one marketer, you're not doing it right. I think really focus on how do you build pipeline? How do you generate pipeline and over invest in marketing? Hire more than hire three people in marketing before you when you only have three people in sales having some huge sales team that isn't saying the same thing, that doesn't know who their buyer is, that doesn't have tools or support or enablement to deliver the message at the right time. What is the good of that? It's no good. And they're expensive. So I think invest in marketing, get your shit together, invest in messaging, understand who your ICP is, let the marketer test different messages across different mediums, be patient and understand that this is a lifelong journey that you're going on with this marketing function. It is not something where you hire somebody and then six weeks later say, where are my leads? And if you do that, you're being the asshole. They're not being the asshole. You are. Anyway, I'm sorry for yelling at you. I do care about you. And I apologize for swearing. And I, it's just, that's how it makes me feel. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. I digress. Listen, this has been the end of Sam's Corner. Before we go, we want to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor is Outreach. Outreach enables you to humanize communication at scale from automating the soul-sucking manual work that eats up selling time to provide action-oriented tips on what communications are working best. Outreach has your back. If you want to reach out to me or if I've offended you in some way and you want to tell me about it, 
uh, linkedin.com forward slash Thord in forward slash Sam F. Jacobs. And if you want to become a member of Revenue Collective and accelerate your career, go to revenuecollective.com. I'll talk to you next time.